Good morning and welcome to All Things Jessamine. Glad to have you on this Saturday morning as we continue to learn more about people, places, and things of our county. Today we're going to be talking to a fellow that I've known for quite a few years. A lot of people around here have known for a few years. And uh, he was instrumental in uh, helping our community know what was going on. His name is Ed Easterly, and he was the former owner and publisher and editor and picture taker and just everything at the Jessman Journal, which is, as far as I know, probably one of the oldest continuing businesses in our county. Good morning, Ed. Good morning, Doug. Glad to have you with me, and I appreciate you coming in. Let's talk some history about you and and the Jessman Journal. Before we start with the paper, though, I want to talk about you. Tell us a little bit about how Ed Eastley came to be, not in Jessamine County, but in the world. Where were you born? Tell us about your parents and your family. But I was born in Muscatine, Iowa, mm-hmm. uh, on April 20th, 1931. My father was a newspaper man, and we were in Iowa because he had a uh, employment with, one, with a local newspaper there. Mm-hmm. We didn't stay long. I was a native of Muscatine, Iowa, for probably no longer than six or seven months. And then the family pulled up stakes and moved to uh, the Chicago, Milwaukee area. And Dad had journalism experience Mm -hmm. in both of those areas. Dad's uh, life ambition was to be uh, employed by the Associated Press, Mm, which back in his days, that was uh, Taj Mahal. Right of journalism right. to be employed by the AP. Well, he achieved that goal one year later, within a really? period of about a, a year. Yeah. We moved with his wife, my mm-hmm. mother, mm-hmm. Ethel, mm-hmm. and Ed moved to Cincinnati. Got a, when they were employed, Dad, by the Associated Press, and uh, he had a a night job. He worked the night beat. He, he was located in the Cincinnati Enquirer building. Yeah. is where the AP had its office. And uh, he made friends everywhere he went, and that's no exception. Uh, as a matter of fact, his boss at the Cincinnati AP was named Ellis Ronsley, and that was, my dad was so smitten mm-hmm. by his relationship with Mr. Ronsley uh, being hit a senior to dad and more skilled and knowledgeable in the journalism process. Dad gave that man's name, Ellis, to my to his second-born son. What about that? So that's kind of interesting, but things even get hotter and more interesting. We moved to uh, Columbus, Ohio in about 1934, and Dad continued with the Associated Press. And, of course, I'm about, uh, let's see, I was one year old. When we moved to Cincinnati, we were there about two years, so uh, something like 1934, I believe, we mm-hmm. arrived in Columbus. Mm-hmm. And Dad uh, was, his main job was cover, covering the legislature mm-hmm. uh, for the state of Ohio. The uh, state house, the state capitol, was right across the street from the Associated Press Office on 3rd Street in downtown Columbus. And it wasn't very far for the reporters to go to to legislature meetings and everything. And Dad became acquainted uh, with a lot of uh, important people by virtue of his job and proximity to the state capitol. And uh, things were rolling there. I 
we make we we lived in Columbus till 1950. At which point, Dad got a uh, was promoted by the general manager of the entire Associated Press organization in New York City. Dad got a telephone call in Columbus and said, uh, "We're." moving you to Louisville, Kentucky, you're going to be bureau chief for the AP mm-hmm. at Louisville. Mm-hmm. So uh, be ready to pack up your stuff and leave. Dad uh, didn't know if he wanted to leave Columbus or not, but he liked the idea of having a better job and right. a little better pay. Right. We moved to Louisville. And that's, how, then that's how you got to Kentucky. That's how I got to yeah. Kentucky. Okay. But I wasn't moving with Dad and Mother and my second-born uh brother because yep. i was off to college okay. and i went to ohio university uh in the fall of uh, 1949 after graduating from west high school uh, my I was not a good student at any time at any place <laughs> but i was uh, transfixed by athletics and that's probably short-circuited my academic uh achievement well, let me let me stop you right there a minute okay. and ask you now you because I want to try to lead up to this. You you were born. You said what year? Thirty one. Thirty one. Now you had. Is it just you and your brother? Were you the only two children? Um, Doug, there were four brothers. Oh, there's four. Okay. Yeah. See, and I it, only know Tom. I knew Tom, but I knew you, but I didn't know the other two. So, name your brothers. Were you the oldest? Uh, I was the oldest, okay. and then uh, in. Three years and a half after I was born, Ellis was born. Mm-hmm. And then in 1940, Tom Easterly, Charles Thomas Easterly, mm-hmm. uh, by birth certificate, he was born. And, of course, Tom uh, became one of the, I guess, the most achieving member of our family. Because I don't know, Tom was small of stature. Mm-hmm. Never was, I don't think, taller than about five foot six and a quarter or something like that. And mm-hmm. But he had a heart that was just full of love for people and service, public service. Yeah, because he served, didn't he serve in the, st- I know he served in the state legislature here in Kentucky. Didn't he also serve in Florida? He did. So two uh, different states. It, That's yes, pretty impressive. Uh, and, and further than that, all kind. Of, I we could take the whole half hour just talking about my brother Tom, but my other brothers were distinguished too. I had uh, after uh, we'll skip ahead just a minute mm-hmm. and we can come back to Tom. Mm-hmm. But uh, my uh, third born brother James Chapel Easterly, he got a law degree mm-hmm. and uh, I, he attended University of Kentucky. Incidentally, backing up a little bit further again, Tom took uh, public relations courses at UK and everything, and I think he got his degree there. Mm-hmm. But Tom transferred his credits and his interests academically to University of Tennessee in law school. Okay. Tom was elected president of his law school class wow. at University of Tennessee. And uh, then, di- skipping back now to my third brother, Jim mm-hmm. Easterly, James, mm-hmm. uh, he got a law degree as well and i'm not sure what university he he uh, uh graduated from right now i think i'm pretty sure he t- attended uk but he uh uh served in the military uh air force and as a vietnam combat veteran uh in aviation and uh 
he had quite a few missions mm -hmm. in the Vietnam War, mm -hmm. and he's pretty. He got some decorations for that. He lived through it, and when he came back, he got several high appointments in the yeah. uh, military. I think he he's still living. He lives in Vienna, Virginia. Well, I was going to ask you: are the three, the four of you, how many are still living? You, him, Tom you? is the only one that's deceased. Tom, okay. Tom's deceased. Okay. He died in two thousand five okay. in an automobile accident. You know, the one thing that I remember most about Tom, a lot of people might appreciate him more for this. Best I can remember, when he was in the Kentucky legislature, he was the one that introduced the bill that allowed us to turn right on red. True. And, and yeah, True. and that was his bill and got passed, and, and it saved a whole lot of people a whole lot of time, I'll tell you. Tom was, and it, it, here's an interesting aside, Tom in Vietnam was with the Green Berets, mm -hmm. and he was assigned to the uh, pacification unit in Vietnam. The United States military wanted to uh, achieve good relations with the villagers mm -hmm. and the, the people so that they could use them in the war uh, for friendly accommodations and right. so forth. Right. And uh, Tom educated and trained countless Vietnamese children in language mathematics right. you know and mm -hmm. education whereas they probably had, had no education had otherwise interestingly going yeah. further tom was a college professor at university of kentucky in a uh, branch of elizabethtown and he, he taught administrative law there mm -hmm. and also taught languages tom was fluent in about four foreign languages wow. tom was a fulbright scholarship in his senior year, he attended Carleton University in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. Is where he got his degree, I think. Tom went on even he expanded further all the time. He was elected to the Kentucky State Senate mm -hmm. two terms. He was at, mm -hmm. in there for eight years. Mm -hmm. And uh, also, Tom took up insurance as a sideline job. And he to, to just tell you how successful he was and how hard he worked and he has his love for people, uh, he worked for Globe, Globe Insurance Company, which I think is headquartered in Omaha, Nebraska. Mm -hmm. And he was a champion salesperson for <laughs> Globe nationwide in one of those years and got a bonus from Globe of $10,000 wow. for being the top salesman. And then when he went to Dade County, Florida, he was elected again. He wow. married a Spanish girl. And I think he had some insight there on how he was going to do it because Dade County is one-third black, one-third Spanish, and one-third Caucasian, and he could really speak Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> so you had these four boys that, that came from this union and, and lawyers and, and legislators, but one of them decided, I guess, at some point to do what dear old dad did. And that's being the news business. That was you. Now, at what point in time in your life did you realize this is what I want to do? I want to do what Dad did. I want to report the news. How did that get started? That's kind of interesting. I didn't know what I wanted to do in high school, although I was sports editor for the high school annual. In my senior year, I interviewed all our coaches. And uh, uh, then it was when I thought I wasn't any good at anything early, but news mm -hmm. and that's the only thing i was really interested in so i kind of decided as a senior that i might major in journalism and that's what i did mm -hmm. uh now let's not forget there were two people in my family that were in journalism my second oldest brother ellis easterly who i mentioned earlier mm -hmm. ellis 
he was active with a colonel and everything mm-hmm. at the University mm-hmm. of Kentucky. And I think his first job was at Middlesbrough. And he was uh, <coughs> editor for the Middlesbrough Daily News. Then he got married. And then he got divorced. And then he decided uh, he was kind of uh, crestfallen and broken for a while. And so he, he got into religion. And uh, he... Uh, got his divinity degree finally at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. So Ellis is not only a uh, a journalist, uh, he's also a a minister. Sure. So uh, he spent most of his time after being in the church for a while. I had a little church down in Pineville, Kentucky, a little Baptist church. Mm -hmm. He wound up at uh, the Baltimore Sun, was an editor for the Baltimore Sun for a over a decade, 10 yeah, years, yeah. maybe 20. Uh, anyway, he retired from the Baltimore Sun, and he moved with he and his wife. Couldn't have any children of his own. He adopted two. And uh, he moved with his wife to Las Cruces, New Mexico, which, strangely enough, was the exact location where I had served the United States military for two years. What about that? So uh, he's 17 miles from the uh, White Sands Proving Grounds where mm-hmm. I served in the uh, United States Army in 19 parts of 53 and all of the parts of 50, 54. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, Ellis, I asked him, why in the world did you move to New Mexico? And he says, well, we did a study on demographics and economics, and we found out that New Mexico was the most reasonable and expensive place in the United States to live. What about that? And he said, I didn't think my pension would cover a <laughs> place like New York or California. So that's why I was there. Incidentally, while I was at White Sands, one of the loves of my life was uh, the 1954 season. I had the pleasure of playing baseball for the White Sands Rockets, mm-hmm. and we had members uh, of college players and sm- uh, professional players were on our team, and it's one of the joys of my life to remember all sure. the gentlemen, sure. fine contacts I made at White Sands right. playing baseball there for right. in the 1954 year, and I never did go overseas, so I'm thankful to God yeah, that right. I didn't get over into that rat race in uh, right. Korea. Yeah, Korea. Korean right. war going on there. You made it to Louisville, and you went on to, to do all your college work and things like that, but how, did, how in the world did you end up in Nicholasville? That's oh, what we want to know. Dad, how did you get here? Dad was left the Associated Press, uh, I believe it was about 1955, to uh, accept an invitation from Governor A.B. Happy Chandler to be his press secretary. Really? So, yes. So Dad was the press secretary for four years for Governor Chandler, writing his speeches and setting up his itinerary around the United States, going to various conventions and so forth around the country. You know. Now, when he was governor, was when, when Happy was governor. Well, that was well, that was after he was baseball commissioner, wasn't it? Wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Afterwards, after. Okay. So your dad, I mean, man, he was with he was with the man. Yeah. I mean, that was a very important. Well, governor. it gets even writ more rich. Yeah. Uh, Doug, it gets even more rich. He did a pretty good job with Happy Chandler, I guess, because four years later, when Happy succeeded by Governor Burt Combs, mm-hmm. Burt Combs asked my father to stay on and be press secretary for him for some four more years wow. up through 1961. Dad was press secretary for Burt Combs. Burt Combs come out of our house, interesting aside, and he was our guest, and I got a chance to talk with Burt Combs. Also knew Happy Chandler and mm-hmm. met him at the Jessamine County Courthouse, by mm-hmm. the way, mm-hmm. where I took his picture. But um, Burt Combs is out of our house as a guest, and Dad, of course, uh, very loyal 
to his employers, wanting to make a good impression for Hap, for uh, Bert Combs. So we're out in the yard. He's got his barbecue grill going. He's got a great big steak out there. He's f- cooking up on a barbecue grill for uh, Bert Combs. Bert's standing there watching. I'm watching. I'm watching. And Dad takes this huge steak. He's ready to put it on this grill, and he drops it in the mud. Oh, he drops the no. steak in the mud. And the dirt, well, it was really duh, dirt. <laughs> so he picks it back up, and his face is red and everything. And uh, Bert Combs says, that's okay, Ed. I like my steak with a little seasoning. Put it on there and I'll eat it. <laughs> so Bert Combs it was very gracious, very gracious. So he, yeah, he was, and he was within a period of time where, you know, our country and our state was, especially with hap, with happy going through some pretty tumultuous times. So he was really in the thick of things. So on from there, yeah. I had two years in the military, which I described briefly. Right. I was also stationed at, uh, Redstone Arsenal at Huntsville, Alabama, in parts of 1953, where I went to guided missiles training school mm-hmm. for 16 weeks. I also played on the post-baseball team at Redstone Arsenal, too. Mm-hmm. And don't remember much of that there because they only had about a fraction of a season because of yeah. the school I was yeah. attending there. And then I kicked out of uh, Redstone Arsenal over to New Mexico. But now, moving on to how I came to Nicholasville, Dad as bureau chief for the AP for about five years before he Mm -hmm. got into politics, he knew the newspaper people all over the state of Kentucky and uh, all over the United States, Ohio, Tennessee, some out in California, Texas. Anyway, through some connections to my father, I found out I I found out on my own merits I wasn't going to qualify for a a big daily newspaper job because I didn't have the experience, what they wanted, Mm -hmm. and I didn't have the academic credentials either, Mm -hmm. which was what they wanted. Mm -hmm. Uh, Life is not all academics, I can tell you that Mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I got this job working for the Glasgow Daily Times. Uh, It would have been about in August of uh, 1955, Mm -hmm. and I was sports editor and general assignment for the Glasgow Daily Times, and uh, one of the people that I had an opportunity to visit with and to ex- try to extract news from was the county judge of Barron County at that time, which was the future Kentucky governor, Louis B. Nunn. Oh, yeah. So uh, yeah. anyway, I got to know Louis B. pretty good, and he was a difficult, difficult man to reach, always very busy and so forth, and I had more successful relations with the circuit court judge. I did a feature on him, became great friends with him mm-hmm. down there. It was a Mr. Jones and also the circuit clerk clerk mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. other people in the courthouse, mm-hmm. county court clerk. I had good relations with city council down there and everything. And five rural schools. And since I was a sports editor, I got to go to all five of these rural <laughs> schools. And I wrote up all these football and baseball teams at places like Austin, Tracy, and Temple Hill, and Heisville, this little remote Mm-hmm. Places in Burren County uh, where they had six-man football, see? Mm-hmm. And also the city schools. I covered the city school football, too, and uh, got to know the coaches real well. They got where they were really glad to see me come to these county schools because <laughs> they were going to get their name and picture right. in the paper. Yeah. You know? So that went good. And uh, it's interesting things that happened at uh, Glasgow. I was only there seven months. Let's go to Nicholasville, okay? Okay. But anyway, I got great memories from Glasgow, and that was my the point. I, I, the thing I remember about Glasgow that's locally interesting is two years after I came here from Glasgow, 
uh, some of the people that I met wound up in Nicholasville, and one of them uh, was Sammy Sears, who worked at the school board office back around, uh, I'll say maybe 1958, something like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And he was a head football coach at the Glasgow High School when I was there. So here I am, two years after I'm coming in matriculating to Nicholasville, the head football coach from Glasgow's coming into Nicholasville to get a job and brings his wife with him, you know. Yeah. So he works here at our school board. And, oh, that's not enough. It don't end there. Holy smokes. Uh, the uh, former... Uh, Alexander girl, whose father was sheriff in Barron County, uh, is uh, the lady that married Bobby Day Wilson when they went to college, what, at Transylvania? Yeah. Anna? Anna. Yeah, Yeah, Anna. And Anna became a teacher in the Jessamine County Public School system. And she was just a little girl in Glasgow High School when I was there. So she comes to Nicholasville, and she's here. And then here comes Pat Nielsen, her sister. sister. And she comes in here, and she's on a school board. And then all of a sudden... Uh, this colored coach from Rosenwald Dunbar uh, down in Glasgow. He comes up here in Nicholasville, too. Do you remember his name, that colored coach? That, that Leonard Cavell? Yeah, Leonard Cavell. Really? Yeah, he, he left uh, Rosenwald Dunbar, yeah. I guess, at Glasgow, and he comes up. Come here. He's a coach here, and then they kick him out from when we integrate the schools. He, he became the, the coach here at uh, right. Jessamine right. County. High school. A, and he was involved with the junior high, and yeah. that's great. So there's four wow. people. Well, I thought that would be interesting to Jessamine County people, well, did, so I'll throw that in there. Yeah, and that is. Did you did you what did you start here just as a reporter? Uh that's a long story, but it's very interesting. The history of the Jessamine Journal is at stake here. The Jessamine Journal was founded in uh eighteen seventy three. Jessamine Journal is the second oldest business in continuous operation in Nicholasville that it's exceeded and preceded only by First National Bank and Trust Company founded in 1871, mm-hmm. which now is Central Bank. Right, right. So that takes care of the history of, Jess- yeah, of yeah. Uh, the Jessamine Journal. However, uh, oh, oh, another important point of history for local people to assimilate that they may not know is uh, the Jessamine Journal had the distinction an honor of having one of its publishers be uh, the president of the Kentucky Press Association. Really? And that was in 1901, Harry McCarty <laughs> was elected president of the KPA. Mm-hmm. And I think that's quite an honor for him. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, Hill. sure. At any rate, uh, the Jessamine Journal went, endured many a hardship and many a year uh, of uh, difficulty. And I don't know if they ever rose very much above uh, uh, break-even point. Mm-hmm. Economically, mm-hmm. Uh, I was born into competition in Nicholasville and started with the Newsweek in uh, April 1, uh, 1956. It competed directly against Mr. Delmar Adams and the Jessamine Journal. And he, Mr. Adams had been here since 1940, okay. and his business was deteriorating rapidly. And uh, at the time that I was competing against him, uh, he uh, we were really fighting dog and dog, uh, dog and cat, you know, to get the news locally and compete right. against one right. another and things right. like that. Was his a weekly also? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, that was the journal was weekly. Was the one you were with? Yeah, I, I was. 
the Jessamine News Week was yes. a weekly, yes. and I bought the paper from John Sutterfield. I, my dad and I bought the newspaper. Bear in mind, I don't have any money at this time. Yeah. I'm just coming in here right. out of the Army and from Glasgow, and I'm 25 years old yeah. uh, after my first three weeks at the Jessamine News Week. I turned right. 25. Yeah. See, so. Um, yeah. As a matter of fact, I'm the same age right now as Tasha Baker is that just came in as an editor yes. for the Testament Journal. Is that right? So she's 25. I met with her just and, a and couple you, weeks ago. And I hope you ago. told her that. It, that surely brought her some confidence. It should. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's a nice lady. She is, she's indeed. Nice and we had a nice meeting, and we're going to meet again sometime. Well, how soon. long then were you in Jessamine County in the paper business? 34 years. 34. Uh, April 1. Uh, 1956 to December to April 1, 1990, when yeah. I told. Now there's a little bit more on the organization. I don't know if we're going to run out of time or not, but uh, go ahead. Uh, but uh, the Jessamine Journal was at wits and it was at its wits end after competing with me for about eight months, nine months, something like that, and in December. Of 1956, the journal fell mightily. They were bankrupt. Mr. Adams could not borrow any money. Mm-hmm. His uh, credit was no good. Uh, he had exhausted his uh, uh, acceptance here at places, printing houses in Lexington. The Louisville paper companies would not ship him and manufacture him because he was in arrears on his payments and so forth. And uh, his machinery and his equipment and his shop was run down and uh, obsolete and battered and it didn't do a good job because it wasn't running effectively mm-hmm. and some of it wasn't running at all, which might lead to this joke that uh, Mr. Ena Swain, that was publisher of the uh, Danville Advocate Messenger, told me years later, about in 1966, uh, I subject of Delmar Adams come up and Mr. Swain, Mr. Adams is dead, his wife Nellie is dead dead his mother is dead that lived on west maple street so uh mr uh, I, I i asked him well i said delmar had to come down here a lot of times uh mm-hmm. mr swain to get spacing material mm-hmm. printed by uh, pub, uh manufactured by you so he could take it back to nicholasville to get out his hostile forms and all that and i know that and mr swain said i'll tell you his good story about mr adams that come here and he come down here to see me and uh in the uh Er, middle early uh, 1950s and uh, uh, I just casually asked Delmar his paper usually came out always came out on Thursday morning and uh, he was in here to see me on a Wednesday Tuesday and I says well Delmar uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Swain says he asked Mr. Adams well Delmar, how's the Jessamine Journal going? How's your paper going this week? And Delmar says, oh, hell. He says, I'm still getting out last week's paper. (laughs) I thought that was pretty cute because I sympathize with Mr. Adams on that because there were a few times in my paper, during my tenure at the Jessamine Journal, my paper was late, too. It's not easy to get it out on time. And when when you have financial problems and your equipment's not working good, you know. It's even trouble. But but, but thinking about you and remembering what I remember about the journal, you know, you were doing this. I'm talking about when I was young, and I can remember. You were doing this, basically. You had Ray Brock taking pictures for you out there and getting some information. Uh, Carrie Jane Foster worked with you a long time in the shop. 
And and really, it was that was it, wasn't it? Wasn't it just kind of you three or oh, four? Oh, in the first year, Doug, that's interesting. I mean, let me backtrack just a little bit again. The sale of the Jessamine Journal yeah. was consummated in December of 1956. Okay, that's at, to you. To, well, well, to my father to you helping dad. me negotiate because yes. he, yes. he had some financial right. security. My dad was never a rich man, but yeah. he was backing me up, and he was okay. an impetus. He's one, and he, when he first asked me if I wanted to come down here and run a Kentucky newspaper, I said, no, Dad, I better not. I said, I'm happy down here at Glasgow. I said, Mm -hmm. I'm making friends down here, and I enjoy my work. And he said, well, he said, uh, why not branch out? He said, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you've got opportunity. And uh, he he said, I think he can do it. I'm for you. And I said, well, Dad, I said, I don't want you to have to risk your financial future and maybe mortgage a house or something like that for this uh, Mm -hmm. fling here at the Nicholas Hill newspaper prospect. I said, uh, just let it go. Dad said, well, I think you can do it. And he convinced me, you know, you so that's up. why I'm here. Yeah. Anyway, the paper, the Jessamine Journal, under Mr. Dilmar Adams, after he had worked here for some, what, 1940 mm-hmm. to, to 1956, mm-hmm. 16 years, was sold at Master Commissioner's sale at the courthouse door right across the street yeah. by Harvey Parton. What about it? was that? a Master Commissioner's sale yes. that sold it. And nobody else was even there to bid against my father and me. Just nobody you. even wanted it. And the Jessamine Journal was non-functioning. The press wouldn't work. The rotors were beaten up. The linotype wasn't running. Uh, the, we had a Mergenthaler Model 14 linotype. It was the heart and the soul of our typesetting mm-hmm. uh, organ for our paper. wouldn't work. I had to hire a guy from Georgetown, Kentucky, named Charlie Grody. To, uh, that was one of John Sutterfield's paper, mm-hmm. by the way, the guy that sold mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. paper to me. He come down here, and we closed the journal down, I think, the last week of December and the first week of January so that we could work totally on refurbishing his shop, getting in some new equipment. and mm-hmm. uh, re- mm-hmm. So Charlie Grody got that thing fixed up, cost me $1,000, and I had to take all kinds of additional purchases from Star Parts at South Hackensack, New Jersey, and at Mergenthaler and Linotype Company at Brooklyn, New York. Mm-hmm. But we got these parts that Charlie Grody wanted to fix this Linotype up, and, and got we got that little Model 14 running. Got and, it done. That's amazing. And, and, and from out of that became what? now we printed we printed Doug two newspapers then yeah. I didn't get when we mer we mer we didn't merge until September of 1957 we put out two newspapers two. one on Thursday and one on Friday put the journal out on Thursday wow. and the Newsweek on Friday when we resumed publication after the repairs in the third week of January 1957 so and you were pretty much doing all of this by yourself at that point my dad had a job he couldn't be down here doing it he was advising me and counseling me a little bit you know but i was doing the work i was going out hands on yeah you were going out getting the news you were taking the pictures you were setting the type i I guess i guess you're selling the advertising too man alive yeah yeah you you kind of was a one-man show there for a while i certainly was and to elaborate on what you just said doug uh, my secretary that first year with a news week before i went Mm -hmm. with the journal Mm -hmm was Lida B. Smith. Oh, well, yeah. Lida B. Smith was Carrie Jane's aunt. Aunt. And, uh, and she wrote for a long time. Didn't she write like a, like a social column for yeah. a long time? Yeah. And I, we, we finally honored Lida B. Smith at Rose Terrace Nursing Home in 1988 or 89, just before the paper mm-hmm. was sold. We went mm-hmm. up there, and I had a cake baked for her, and I let my wife, Helen, Grow miles easterly. Mm-hmm. She prevented mm-hmm. the cake to lie to be, and I had a plaque 
a certificate, a plaque printed mm-hmm. to commemorate her service. And I made a presentation of that to her. And we had Linda Wiley, one of my chief advertising layout and design person, mm-hmm. people was there at my invitation to be subject to it. Plus Earl Clark, oh, who was yeah, my top, Earl. I forgot all about my, Earl. My, my top shop operator, yes. Earl Clark, yes. was there. And of course, along with my wife and me, we yeah. made a nice homecoming away from home for Lida B at Rose Terrace Nursing That's Home, amazing. celebrating her. And I think she lived pretty close to a hundred years old. I think she wow. died in about 1998. Uh, I think she was born about 1900. And uh, do the arithmetic. Yeah. Anyway, she is. Well, you had you you mentioned her, and you mentioned Earl, who I'd completely forgot about. Earl. Earl's nice guy. I don't want to forget nice Elwood Aldrich. Well, I want you to mention him, and I want you to talk about Carrie Jane too. Okay, and uh, Carrie Jane Foster. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry, Carrie was there too yeah. to commemorate that. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, Lida B worked for me just for about seven years, from about 1956 to about 1963. Then Carrie Jane, mm-hmm. I heard her from Nicholas Hill Drugstore, and she's working from Dr- Jack Ragland at the time at mm-hmm. Nicholas Hill Drugstore. And I don't believe Jack wanted to lose her because she was the top drawer uh, worker mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. Nicholas Hill Drug. Mm-hmm. Anyway, she come with me because I guess she wanted to have a little bit more excitement than what the drugstore mm-hmm. gave. <laughs> Terry Jane was very accomplished, knew all the people in Nicholasville and Jessamine County, a great typist. I guess she could probably 120 words a minute or something like that on a keyboard. A bright lady, you know. Yeah, yeah. And she also uh, was my chief receptionist and also my bookkeeper. Sent out all to process all my bills for me when we sent out monthly bills and everything. Don't want to forget Carrie Jane. She's very important to the business. Right. I couldn't even have been. Uh, we, we, we couldn't have made it over the hump and been successful without financially uh, without Carrie Jane and Earl Clark and Linda Wiley and Elwood Aldridge was mm-hmm. a, I took him out of high school. I think he dropped out of high school in 1957 and come in looking for a job. And I taught him the job because I had to learn rapidly on a job. And I picked it up pretty quick on the shop operations, well, you know, sure, yeah, picking you the California to. job case, you know. And yeah. then when we went into the back shop and went, went into uh, uh, photo offset newspaper, we had a Kenroe vertical camera back there and we were working on all these different trays with a hypo and fixer and developer and mm-hmm. water, you know, to process mm-hmm. these page, whole pages of newspapers because right, right. we're con- converting to offset. And I, I told, taught Elwood and also taught him the hot type process before that so that he, he never did run. He, he could run that hand fed good job presses, but, uh, uh, but he never did, uh, and he helped feed the old flatbed newspaper press, too, the old Whitlock press. We had. Well, Big story, what? too, when we got kind of a humorous story. When we were up at 305 and a half North Main Street, yeah. right across the street from Keller Motor Company, right. uh, I got a letter from my owner of the building, S.J. Erie Sr. Owned a lumber yard. Yeah, a, yeah and I, my, my business was located in his old lumber mm-hmm. yard building right on Main Street. Mm-hmm. And... After operating there for about four years, I got this letter in a mail from Mr. Yeary sometime in the summer of 1960. Mr. Easterly, pay me, please, your $50 rent for the building and be advised you're going to have to vacate the premises in eight weeks because I've sold the business and the land to First National Bank and Trust Company. Wow. What about that? I had a... Is that when you went down on... on, um was Br- East Brown. Uh, East Brown, yeah. Let me Wilmore add- Crutcher, bless his yeah. soul. He saved my life. Wilmore Crutcher and his beautiful wife. Lived uh, down there, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. lived, lived through two doors up. Yeah, from, they did. And they owned the uh, old uh, 
the building building there which still stands by the way folks if you're ever down that way you want to see it uh real quick because our time is closing i want to ask you two questions first off why did you decide in 1990 it was time to to get out i decided to get out because my dues newspaper was on top doug mm-hmm. we had uh, climbed the mountain i paid off my father from all his loans uh, i i uh, bought up the stock of my brothers mm-hmm. that were part of the corporation, the Jessamine Publishing Company, mm-hmm. uh, and became sole owner in 1976 of the Jessamine Journal, was mm-hmm. no longer under the shadow of my father mm-hmm. and my mother. She, right. she held quite a bit of the stock, sure. too, although I was always 51% controlling stockholder, courtesy of my father, right. on the setup from the Secretary of State at yeah. Frankfurt, where you yeah. get incorporated. But uh, at any rate... Uh, I sold it because I uh, recognized that I was so blessed by the Lord, uh, my king and uh, my father and uh, the Lord, to have good health all these years. I don't think I ever missed a day in 34 years Mm -hmm. during the working week. I was Mm -hmm. sick in the weekends. Right. (laughs) It's the only time (laughs) I got sick and couldn't report for work. Uh, so I decided I'd better quit rolling the dice and sell the business while the market value mm-hmm. was high. Mm-hmm. And I had mm-hmm. three different people want to buy it. Mm-hmm. I even had R.J. Corman put in a yeah. uh, overture on it. Well, and you know what? Why R.J. Corman never made a bid? No idea. I talked with him out at his place for a little while, and uh, I opened the books for him a little bit. And I told him that he could pay for his investment at the Jessamine Journal if he wanted to pay mm-hmm. $1 million that he could pay for the, his investment in the Jessamine Journal in 10 years. Mm-hmm. He said, well, Ed, he said, uh, uh, thanks a lot for coming down here. He said, I'll decline to buy your business or make a bid either one. Mm-hmm. He said, I've got seven corporations and all of them are making <laughs> more money than you are. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I, that's, that's true. Well, that's the first so I bought the business from Republic Newspapers Incorporated at Farragut, Tennessee from Douglas A. Horn yeah. in April 1, 1990. And then I retired and I retired because the reasons I explained to plus I was getting a chance to finally be with my wife, Helen and my two children, uh, Eddie and Kimberly and my beautiful, wonderful stepdaughter, Jane miles Peter. Sure. And it's so, uh, right. Well, yeah, you get to the point you need to enjoy because, because people, you know, when you are a publisher, editor doing all this stuff for a local paper, you're, you're not on a clock. You're not on a Monday, eight to five because you news doesn't just happen monday eight to five monday through friday uh news happens at saturday night at midnight and and all hours of the day and night so you're kind of on call for our community because there's so many things happening and that need to be reported and so yeah you were all over the place final question for you if if you have then you do right now have the opportunity to how do you how do you want people of jessman county to remember ed easterly well, uh, I'm a newspaper man. I don't like the journalism the way it's presented now by the daily newspapers and some of the television media. And uh, it was getting kind of bad uh, uh, decades ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been a tremendous amount of change in newspaper uh, policy on the editorial uh, deportment, mm-hmm. the, the, the way that they conduct themselves with bylines and uh, the way they integrate opinion uh, into their news stories. Now, that was 
not existent yeah. biojournalism school at Ohio University yeah. in Athens, Ohio. They did not countenance that. You were supposed mm-hmm. to be objective. You're supposed to give each side a voice in a news story you wrote and not to take sides or get opinion. Nowadays, right. they're lacing the stories with all kinds of opinion. Oh, yeah. I don't like that. Of course, now I want to acknowledge that it's a privilege in the uh, authority of every newspaper for its editorial policy to be whatever it wants, what the owner wants it to be, because he's mm-hmm. got the money, mm-hmm. he owns the business, and it's his mm-hmm. property. Mm-hmm. Historically, going back to days of the penny press, mm-hmm. uh, it's historically the uh, 1700s, 1600s, it's a uh, it's appropriate for the publisher right. to have his own editorial right. policy, and that means he gives his opinion. And I saw where the Lexington Herald endorsed every Democratic candidate that ran, and no mm-hmm. Republicans mm-hmm. in this last election. Mm-hmm. Let me add, or Jack Doug, one yeah. thing while we got time, because this is important to Jessamine County people. Sure. Uh, before Mr. Adams took over the business, this is local news. Before Mr. Adams took over the business, my predecessor in 1940. The Jessamine Journal was bought and was in a having financial difficulty, mm-hmm. and it was saved by three thoughtful Jessamine County luminaries, I'll say, great people. Mm-hmm. It was, this story was told to me by Bob Fain, mm-hmm. a, a oh, great yeah. writer for the Lexington yes. Herald Leader. Bob Fain told me that the owners of the Jessamine Journal in 1939 and just before Mr. Adams acquired it mm-hmm. was Larkin Fain, mm-hmm. Robert H. Hunter, runner Hunter Hardware, mm-hmm. and a, and a, I guess the grandfather of Hunter Doherty, our, first, yes. our, our, circuit, our judge. circuit court judge now, and also from Congressman John C. Watts. What about Those that? three people owned the Jessamine Journal in the 1940s. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I want to say on behalf of Jessamine County, uh, we appreciate your contribution to our community. And for all those years, uh, giving us the news and letting us know what's going on and and things have changed as as you've seen over the years. Things changed while you were there. It's changed even more. But that that hometown paper uh, was a very important part of our community and getting it where it is today. And we just appreciate the work that you did, Ed. All of those years. Can for I us. say one lo- more lo- one thing to sure. conclude my interview? Uh, well, I would be remiss, Doug, if I did not thank my advertisers. <laughs> I would yep. not be here that's right and i not only thank my advertisers for their financial support i want to thank them uh for being personal friends of mine people that i would yet today do something for do a favor for or help them in any way and that includes may i be specific a little bit particularly the real estate industry. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll call off a few names mm-hmm. because they were heavy supporters of me. Mm-hmm. Harlan H. Veal Sr. and mm-hmm. his son Press Veal, mm-hmm. Charles Collins, mm-hmm. Kenneth Watts, Ellen Pinkston. Bobby Day Wilson. Bobby Day Wilson, yeah. absolutely. A big advertiser mm-hmm. of me. And Jackie Dale Bruner and yes. his father Armster Bruner. Yes. And, I, uh, and then, of course, Ralph Watts that run Hunter's S&T mm-hmm. was a tremendously supportive mm-hmm. person of mm-hmm. mine. And mm-hmm. I love Ralph. Ralph Watts, I'm sorry he's gone. Yeah. But he helped me a lot. And we I helped him sell a lot of goods and merchandise. Sure you too. did. But at any rate, both I can tell you a lot more, Doug. Maybe another time. <laughs> well, thank you, Ed, for coming. Appreciate you. Enjoy your, reti- your continued retirement. And we appreciate you being part of our community. Thank you. Thank you, Doug.
My thanks to Ed Easterly for coming in. Give us a little bit of history about himself and our local paper, the Jessamine Journal. Well, we enjoyed being with you here on this Saturday morning. For all things Jessamine, we'll do it again next Saturday as well, 11 o'clock. And I hope you'll tune me into my regular show. I'm here every weekday morning, 6 to 8 a.m. on Jess FM 105.9.